You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the podcast, we're going to be discussing the links uh, with Renato Sanchez to Arsenal. We're going to be talking a little bit about Maurizio Pochettino and his potential move to Manchester United. We'll also be rounding up the weekend's action as well as me giving you some information and some details on how you can win an Arsenal shirt of your choice. And of course, Arsenal have three beautiful kits out this season. We've got the red one, the home one, uh, of course, the slightly off yellow coloured away one that we wore at Anfield at the weekend, although that's not a particularly fond memory. And of course, the blue shirt, uh, which is a bit of a throwback to an old kit, an old favourite. So um, we're going to be giving you the chance to win one of those shirts, a shirt of your choice to say thank you for all the support that you guys have shown the podcast over the last couple of years. Um, we are approaching the third anniversary, I think, of the podcast. Yeah, third anniversary, January 2022. It'll be the third anniversary of when we really got going with this podcast. So I do want to say thank you. Therefore, in December, we're going to do this giveaway. Uh, so the winner will be picked at random on the 3rd of December. And to enter, all you need to do is head over to Twitter. Um, check out at Chronicles underscore AFC. Look at our pinned tweet and follow the instructions there. And as I say, you can win yourself a shirt of your choice. We're not just giving away one, but we're giving away two. So I look forward to seeing plenty of you enter and one of our special guests uh, on Friday, the 3rd of November, will be picking the winners at complete random. So looking forward to that. Right, let's start off by discussing the links with Renato Sanchez. He's a player that Arsenal were heavily linked with um, over the summer. A deal never materialised, but I think a lot of us were singing from the same hymn sheet with regards to this one. Fitness seems to be a major concern for Renato Sanchez. And... Um, Let's start off with where this story stems from. Let's start off with why these reports have resurfaced again. And then we'll talk a little bit about why uh, Renato Sanchez, to me, doesn't feel like a smart move, doesn't feel like the right player. So if we just uh, head over to uh, football.london, where the story was written up, uh, there were some comments that Renato Sanchez made when talking to L'Equipe, uh, the French outlet. He was discussing um, whether there was interest in him. He was discussing uh, the fact that he feels a lot more mature now and that he's ready to move to a big club, whereas in the past he wasn't. Um, you know, he joined Bayern Munich, didn't he, at a very, very young age. It didn't really work out. He went on various loan moves before finally landing at Lille, where he seems to be, uh, you know, finding his feet again and starting to show people what he is capable of. But this is what Renato Sanchez had to say when he was asked about the transfer speculation. He said, who is interested in me? Maybe Milan and Arsenal are interested, but I don't know. I talked to my agent. I know which clubs are calling and which are not. But now I can't tell you. But I know I'm ready. If it happens, I'll see what's best for me. So Renato Sanchez 
saying he doesn't want to tell people who the clubs are interested, in, but then naming both Milan and Arsenal suggests that there was some interest in the past, or at least conversations had taken place. Um, he, he said he wasn't going to reveal the clubs that were contacting his agents, but he named a couple, and one of them was Arsenal. Uh, look, I don't doubt Renato Sanchez's talent. I don't doubt his ability. I think he's a really, really talented player. But the big red flag for me with Renato Sanchez has always been around the player's fitness. And I can't get behind the idea of bringing in a player that is such a flight risk when it comes to fitness. You know, we, we're we bemoaning our luck at the moment with Thomas Partey being injured constantly and then coming back from injuries and not looking... Uh, you know, anywhere near as sharp as we know he can. We're, we're worried about how we're going to cope without Granit Xhaka now for a long period of time. And we're wondering if he's going to be back in time for the African Cup of Nations, where we're definitely going to lose a couple of midfield players. All of that stuff just says to me, steer clear of Renato Sanchez. But I, I want to make it clear. It's not because I don't think he's talented. It's not because I don't think he's a good player. It's not because I don't think he has something to offer. It's just we can't have too many of these players in the team. We can't be relying and hanging our hat on players who just cannot stay fit. Look, Kieran Tierney falls into that category as well. This is not me having to go solely at our central midfielders. When players constantly break down and constantly get injured, you end up in a position as a manager where you simply cannot hang your hat on them. And if you do, you will struggle and then you will inevitably fail. Um, you know, build your team around people that are constantly available. Look, every player picks up knocks. Every player picks up injuries. Some players, you know, they they pick up injuries inflicted by challenges from opponents and that can't be helped. Some players will pick up muscle strains because they're fatigued. But there are some players who just constantly pick up the same types of injuries. And those players are the ones that you need to steer clear of. Um, and, and that's my thoughts and my demand. You know, he is somebody who, you know, we've got, uh, you know, we definitely have a need for a player in that position. Uh, you know, I don't think that anybody would deny that. I definitely think that midfield is is the number one area in which we have to do business in January. Um, you know, we'll come on to do a show a little bit closer to the window about the priorities and the needs of the team going into that window. But I just don't know that Renato Sanchez is the answer. And again, just want to reiterate the point. It's nothing to do with his talent, purely to do with his fitness record. And if we have a look at his fitness record, you know, I know people talk about him being um, an injury prone player, but I don't think people realise how serious this kind of issue is with Renato Sanchez. You look at that. I mean, the, the word that jumps out to you on that page is hamstring. How many hamstring injuries? you got one, two, three, four, five, six, just six that I can see. You know, you've got thigh problems, muscular problems. We don't know what those were specifically, uh, meniscal injuries. You know, and these are injuries that have kept him out for, for periods of time. You know, we're not talking about one week here and there. We're talking about, look, 47 days, 26 days, 24 days. 85 days, uh, 28 days. You, you just simply cannot, uh, in my opinion, go out and bring somebody in to cover somebody who's also got a fitness issue, um, who's then going to come in and, and and have the same issues. It just, it's cutting your nose off to spite your face. It's not, um, it's not the way that 
I would be looking at dealing with the Thomas Partey issue, which I do believe is an issue. Like I've said it time and time again, people have said I've been really, really critical of um, of Thomas Partey and that at times I've been unfair on him. Look, when I, I do acknowledge that when his performances have been below par, it's, it's more often than not because he's not at the races physically, but part of being a great player is being available. Part of being a great player is taking care of yourself. It's, it's frustrating with Partey because, as we know, before he came to Arsenal, his fitness record was really, really good. But now we're in a place where this is becoming an ongoing issue. It happened throughout last season. He's already broken down twice this season, came back into the team at Anfield, looked miles off of the pace. So I am worried about it. And I just don't feel like Renato Sanchez, despite his uh, you know, comments regarding Arsenal, is a suitable option, a suitable player to come in and help us with that issue. I feel like he'll only add to it. Um, and that's a shame because I do think he's got talent. And I think a club maybe not in such a desperate situation when it comes to the centre of midfield might be tempted to take a gamble on him. You know, you look at Renato Sanchez, uh, his profile on transfer marked and he's valued at around about £27 million, which to some clubs um, isn't really a splash in the water. But I think for Arsenal, not that the money's the biggest deal, it's just that it's so important that we get this this buy right because whoever it is, I think is going to have to play quite a significant role. I mean, nobody could have foreseen Granit Xhaka's injury. You know, he, he had a pretty clean injury record and then bang, hit at the start of this season and out for a long period of time. But we do know that Thomas Partey is going to have these problems. And we know that Sambi Lakonga, based on recent evidence, just isn't quite there yet. Not not there yet to be playing week in, week out. So Arsenal need to address that area. They need to add to that area. They need to add further strength in depth. I think that uh, Mohamed Elneny is going to be leaving the club pretty sharpish. Um, but even with him there, we're still quite short in that area. And um, with question marks still over Maitland-Niles as well, it's imperative that we do business in the centre of midfield just not Renato Sanchez. Let me know your thoughts in the chat. I'd love to hear from you guys uh, and hear your thoughts um, on uh, on Renato Sanchez. Let's see uh, what you guys make of the, um, you know, of the, the rumours, of the talks, of the reports. How would you feel about Arsenal taking what would undoubtedly be a bit of a gamble on Renato Sanchez? Let's have a look in the comments now. Afsar says no to Renato Sanchez. Um, just going back to the competition, Mint says gutted, banned from Twitter. Mint, um, what you can do is you can email me and I'll put, pop you in the draw. Uh, the, the tweet says that you need to be subscribed to the channel and need to retweet it. I know if you, if you don't have Twitter, that's fair enough. Uh, so just uh, email me chroniclesafc at gmail.com and I will uh, pop you into the competition as well. Um, Marshall says, Renato Sanchez is so slept on, bro. I would love to see him at Liverpool. He would be the best replacement for Genie. Um, yep, of course, Liverpool, another club rumoured to be interested in the Portuguese midfielder. Um, but, you know, I think Liverpool have got their fair share of injury-prone midfielders already. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, uh, Naby Keita. I'm not sure that I'd be going near him if I were Liverpool either. Uh, GB says, uh, not this injury-prone. It's muscles in muscle injuries, mind you. Renato Sanchez, again, he never plays more than 20 games a season in the pace and physicality of the English Premier League. Signing him is a ridiculous risk. Uh, Omar says he would take Sanchez. Um, 
Vishal says, why are we going for Renato Sanchez when Bruno Gimaraes is right there? Uh, Bisuma is also still available. Um, Mint says there's better and more reliable out there. Sam agrees with me. We can't afford to have another injury-prone pl- player. Uh, Nikomo says hell to the no to Sanchez. Uh, what else have we got? Um, yeah, l- l- pretty much... Um, Pretty much the general consensus is that we need to stay away from a player uh, with the fitness issues that Renato Sanchez has had throughout his career. But uh, I think there's an acknowledgement that this guy is talented. Just don't think he can be relied upon. But there we go. That's one of the big stories doing the rounds with regards to Arsenal at the moment. And what I am finding this season is with the lack of European football, we, we do see a lot more of these stories creeping up during the, you know, during the months where the transfer window isn't open. I wonder if it's people trying to look for something to write. I wonder if it's, um, you know, you know, I do wonder how valuable this information or reliable, I should say, this information is. But it was worth touching on because the reported interest from Arsenal was pretty much confirmed by the player himself. This wasn't a journalist, um, you know, or a, a dodgy publication coming out with Renato, Arsenal are in for Renato Sanchez. The player himself mentioned Arsenal as a potential suitor. And therefore, uh, I felt that we needed to have a little bit of a chat about it. But we did a bit of a, an in-depth talk on, on Renato Sanchez during the summer. Um, and my thoughts on the player haven't really changed. You know, I, I still think he's very talented. I still think he's got a lot of ability. I still think he could go on to, to perform at a much higher level and at a much higher profile club than Lille but injuries will hold him back. And and that's been the problem with a lot of players over the years. You know, we've seen some of our own, Jack Wilshire being the prime example of a player who's incredibly talented, but injuries prevented him fulfilling his potential. Apu Diaby, another one. So this is not uncommon. This is not unheard of. It's just whether as a football club, you feel like it's a, a risk worthwhile taking. And I would argue that given our lack of strength in depth in that particular area of the pitch, it's not an area we can be pissing around in. It's not an area we can be taking unnecessary risks in. Right, let's uh, let's move on and let's talk about the reports uh, linking uh, former Spurs manager Maurizio Pochettino with the Manchester United job. Now, of course, uh, we talked... Um, on the gas tank over on 90 min about Oli Gunnar Solskjaer sacking. And I'll just share my thoughts on that briefly with those of you who uh, haven't seen that or won't see that. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer had to go, you know, Manchester United, I think, have taken the right decision. The problem is that they've taken that decision. Uh, The problem for them, mind you, is that they've taken this decision, in my opinion, two, three weeks too late. Should have done it a few weeks ago. Probably would have landed Antonio Conte uh, if they had. I'm told by people... Close to Manchester United, or I say close, who report on Manchester United, who follow the club a lot more closely than I do, that of course uh, Antonio Conte wasn't an option, that Antonio Conte wasn't somebody that they'd like to see come in, that he doesn't fit the Manchester United way, etc., etc. But I just find it hard to believe that they would overlook such a talented manager or that they could overlook a talented manager without a screaming of incompetence. I think that's what it is with United. I think. A lot's been made of Oli um, and his limitations, if you like, as a manager. And I think there are plenty of those. But ultimately, the problems at Manchester United stem from the very top. The incompetence runs from the top and and seeps down through the cracks um, and into the different parts of the club. But that goes all the way down to the players as well. And I'm not defending Oli Gunnar Solskjaer because I've 
I think I've called him a PE teacher in the past. I've said that he was someone who was just happy to be there, that he was someone that should never have got the job in the first place. Um, but ultimately, I think the players have, have sold him down the river here as well. I mean, you look at people like Harry Maguire, uh, for example, someone that you've invested £80 million in, and his performances are nothing short of shambolic. They're embarrassing. They're um, they're subpar, and there's no getting away from that. And, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, not only did he show and prove that he wasn't up to the task and, and wasn't up to the level required to manage a club of Manchester United's quality or, or size, um, I think the players also showed that a lot of them don't deserve to be at a club of Manchester United size as well. I don't think, as Nikomo says in the chat, and I completely agree with this, I don't think the side is as strong as people made it out to be. You know, you look at the front line of Cristiano Ronaldo, Mason Greenwood, Rashford, Sancho, etc. The options that they have there, Bruno Fernandes just in behind. And you'd say they have as good options as anybody in those particular areas. But from the goalkeeper who actually has performed quite well lately, David De Gea, you look at the defence, I think the defence is distinctly average. And I think the centre of their midfield is distinctly average as well. So people hyping up, um, you know, people hyping up Manchester United at the start of the season, I think were misinformed. I think they were uh, almost blinded by the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo. They felt that that was going to elevate United to another level. And actually, probably the Ronaldo signing has been counterproductive. Now, I've said that, you know, where would they be without him? And I, and I stick by that. But I think although he brings a lot to the table, Cristiano Ronaldo, what he does is he changes the way you're playing. And I think Paul Merson made some really interesting comments about this uh, just yesterday. And, and you know, I don't always agree with Paul Merson, but I thought he was quite spot on here. He, he talked about Solskjaer having developed a way of playing, having taken the shackles of certain players and having, uh, you know, had a plan only for Cristiano Ronaldo to come in and that plan change, you know, and, and that almost need to include Cristiano Ronaldo has probably stopped other players getting opportunities and has changed the way in which Manchester United build up. And as a result, they look at a very average side. Um, not to say Ronaldo's a bad player, but we saw it at Juventus as well. You know, we saw Cristiano Ronaldo become the focal point of everything that Juve did. And as a result, other players were suffering and the team was suffering. Um, you know, they're not doing much better at the moment, but you know, it was a transition that needed to happen. They needed to move him on and they've done that now. And I think in time, you'll see that at United, uh, it might not have been the wisest idea bringing him back. You know, the, the heart ruled over their heads, didn't want to see him join Manchester City. But are we going to see over the course of the um, over the course of, uh, of the campaign that actually they were probably wrong to do that? I don't know. But the last thing I'll say on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was, was that exit interview. What on earth was that? Um, look, some Man United fans, some of my colleagues over at 90 Min have told me that they liked it, that they enjoyed it and that they don't care what people think about it because ultimately it was something that was done for the Manchester United fan base. But for me, it was just classic PR. It was the club trying to spin the idea that actually they were right to put Oli in charge in the first place to almost preempt success under a future manager and be able to look back at it and say it's because of what Oli did. Look, Oli did some good things. I think it's it's possible to say a manager needed to be sacked and wasn't the man to take the team any further, but also acknowledge the positives. And I think the positives were that he did create a better environment uh, in some ways. But 
in creating that better environment, in taking the shackles off some players, did he did he almost give up too much power to the dressing room in doing that? I wonder. And I think that's where you need the balance between being somebody who allows people to express themselves, but also you need to maintain control of that dressing room. And once it's gone, it's gone. And I, and I think it looks like that happened towards the end of Oli's tenure. I think that there was a, a lack of trust in his methods, a lack of trust in, in the way he was coaching the side. And I think ultimately that that led to people maybe switching off, the performances dipping, and then in the end, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer being given his marching orders. But the question is, who is going to come in and replace him? Maurizio Pochettino has been linked. Brendan Rodgers has been linked. Zinedine Zidane is said to not fancy the job, was the, the latest I read um, at the time of recording. But, you know, look, I think for Man United now, and long may they crash and burn, but, uh, you know, I, I think, Maurizio Pochettino feels like a good fit. He feels like a long-term fit. And Manchester United are quite similar in, uh, to Arsenal in the sense that I don't think they look at managers as someone who's going to come in and do the job for 18 months and then leave. I think they look at, the or they try at least to look at the bigger picture. Is that always the way to go? We've seen at Arsenal that, that sometimes it isn't. You know, is it necessarily right to put stopgap managers in? We've also seen that that doesn't always work as well. So I think, you need to find the balance. I think Maurizio Pochettino is someone that would be the ideal fit. The problem is he's at PSG and are PSG going to allow him to leave? They're not a club that are desperate for money. They're not a club that are going to be bullied by Manchester United from a financial point of view. But from what we understand, uh, Maurizio Pochettino is keen on taking the job and is keen on taking the job now, not at the end of the season now, which seems bizarre to me because he's Miles ahead at the top of the French League. He's on course to win his first league title. He has a shout for winning the Champions League, which I don't think he would have at Manchester United. I think, well, no, that's that's unfair. He has a shout. He has a chance. It's a cup competition, but I think PSG are better equipped to win the Champions League. I find it strange that he would make that move now. I know there's a lot of talk around his family being in England and that that might play a part. Um you know, in him wanting to come back to the UK, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it just seems um, a bizarre one for me. Poch to walk out of PSG mid-season. I don't know. That doesn't quite sit right with me. The other pl- person who's been linked uh, very, very heavily, and when I looked at some odds early yesterday, was the favourite. It's Brendan Rodgers, and I, I've made my feelings clear on Brendan Rodgers numerous times. I, I don't think he's good enough for a club of that size. I think you're seeing a huge drop off at Leicester City at the moment, which we'll come on to talk about in a bit. Um, but, you know, I don't think he's done. I'm not going to say he's not done enough in the past because I think he's had two very, very good seasons with Leicester. But as somebody uh, pointed out in the chat, uh, I think it was Sam, two notorious bottle jobs. They're two managers who up until now have shown that they're not quite able to get over the line. And I know that can be unfair and it can be a harsh criticism to label at people because, of course, um, you know, you're relying on such fine margins at top level football. You know, do you get to a final and then get done by a bad refereeing decision? Do you lose players at crucial moments? There are a lot of factors and circumstances that are out of the manager's control that can ultimately lead to you failing to get over the line. And so I've got some sympathy. Um for Poch and, and, and Rodgers in that sense. But, you know, what Man United can't do here and shouldn't do, and I don't think the fans will accept it anyway, is a point, you know, they've, they've put an interim in, in in Michael Carrick. Are they now going to put an interim in 
to cover the interim until the summer, which is what some people are suggesting. That just seems like madness to me. You know, break the bank, do what you got to do. Um, use your power as a football club uh, of Manchester United size and bully your way into getting what you want. Get your team back on track. Give the manager the opportunity to get Manchester United back into the Champions League because, you know, that is not impossible. You know, you look at the Premier League table now, a lot has been made of United's position. They're, set, they're, they're eighth at the moment. They're on 17 points. They're only six points off of West Ham in fourth. You know, they could easily wrestle that back. I don't expect West Ham to be in fourth come the end of the season. Um, and United are more than capable of going on a run. So hope is not lost, but you need to get someone who's going to come in and make a difference immediately. It baffles me that Michael Carrick is still in the job. I mean, I would have sacked a lot of them. I'd have sacked all of the staff. I don't see how keeping someone who's said himself that his tactical ideas and that his coaching ideas are very similar to those of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to turn this around. It just feels like a nonsense to me. It feels like Manchester United have uh, just, you know, reeks of incompetence at the moment. The people at the top have pulled the trigger on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer without having an alternative lined up. They should have had an alternative lined up weeks ago and pulled the trigger. Then they didn't. Now they've come to pull the trigger. You you thought maybe they were trying to buy themselves a little bit more time to get something set. They've pulled the trigger and they don't have anything set, which just, you know, it, as I say, I keep saying this phrase, screams of incompetence. It's really, really poor uh, from Manchester United. And if I was a fan, I'd be absolutely livid, but I'm not. So long may it continue. Uh, let's um, let's talk about some of the other Premier League action over the weekend. I realise I probably uh, would have been better off doing this episode yesterday, but as always with uh, with work, sometimes stuff gets in the way. Sometimes things happen, um, and I don't always get the opportunity to to cover all the bases that I'd like to. But we're not going to talk any more about Liverpool for Arsenal nil. You know how many times are we going to go over it? It was um, it was painful. It was difficult to watch. Um, it's not derailed or or destroyed my enthusiasm about this team and where I feel this team is is headed. Uh, so I'm not going to read into it too much. And I, I'm, I feel still quite positive about the the project that Arsenal at this moment in time. But, you know, it's it was a difficult one to stomach. And I know that a lot of fans who were maybe leaning towards, uh, you know, concerns over uh, Mikel Arteta and what he's doing will use it as a stick to beat us with and to beat the, the current crop with. For me... You know, people have called it a reality check. I think that's exactly what it was for some. But I think if you were realistic about where Arsenal were, then it wasn't a reality check. It's what was expected. And and, and that's the key point here, right? If, if you thought that Arsenal were ready to compete with the likes of Liverpool, Manchester City and Chelsea, then you needed that reality check. And there you go. It was provided to you on Saturday evening. But if I think you're sensible enough to understand where Arsenal are at, actually, it isn't that big of a surprise. Actually, you know, when you capitulate after a second goal because you're trying to open up a little bit, that can happen and it shouldn't be read into too much, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, but I know a lot of you disagree with me on this. I know a lot of you have been in the comments um, making your feelings known. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about some of the other games to start with. Uh, Leicester versus Chelsea. That was the early kickoff on Saturday. Chelsea just relentless. They're an absolute machine under Thomas Tuchel. And people talk about, you know, the flair that City have and the the, the the rock and roll football that Liverpool play. 
Chelsea are none of those things. They're just efficient. You know, they're defensively very, very solid. And that's a great foundation from which uh, they can go on and win football matches. They have quality in the final third, as we saw, um, whether it's Kai Havertz, whether it's Mason Mount, whether it's Callum Hudson-Odoi, who had a really, really good game at the weekend. They've got talent in an abundance and uh, they're going to be very, very difficult, um, uh, you know, to stop uh, this season. They're setting the pace at the top of the league. And I think, Although Leicester have been quite poor this season, as we were touching on a little bit earlier on, it's a place that Arsenal went and won at. Uh, I think this was a bit of a statement win for Chelsea. You know, early kickoff away from home against a side who narrowly missed out on the Champions League last season. It can be a bit dodgy, but Chelsea uh, showed no signs of letting up and were, were incredibly dominant and incredibly impressive on the day. Uh, Aston Villa beat Brighton by two goals to nil. Steven Gerrard. Uh, getting his first win as Aston Villa boss in his first game. They left it late. A uh, really good goal from Ollie Watkins was what uh, set them off. And then uh, I think it was Tyrone Mings who got the second, which sealed the points for Steven Gerrard's men, who uh, incidentally has banned salt. So uh, Conte's banning ketchup, Gerrard's banning salt, just bans left, right and centre at the moment. But um yeah, I'm really interested to see how Steven Gerrard gets on in this job because he was being hailed as the real deal at Rangers. And I always find it really difficult to, um, you know, to make judgments on managers when they're in that league, because I think it is a two team league. I commentated on Rangers uh, F, uh, I almost said FA Cup, Scottish League Cup semi-final with Hibernian on Sunday. They lost 3-1. Uh, first game without Stevie G and, and a defeat straight away and a, a quite appalling and embarrassing one as well. Uh, Hibernian racing into a three-goal lead um, inside about 40 minutes. Rangers pulled one back on the stroke of half-time but weren't able to find a way back into the game. So, you know, they they, they suffered without him, at least initially anyway. Um, but yeah, I'm as I say, I'm really interested to see how Gerard's going to get on because he's got a decent squad at Aston Villa. They were clearly underachieving. They lost five on the spin. It led to Dean Smith getting sacked. And now they have a manager who's very highly rated. Can he get a tune out of this group? We're going to see. Uh, we're going to see. Uh, Burnley three, Crystal Palace three. This was an unexpected corker because when you think about Burnley, you think of Sean Dyche ball, you think of long ball football, staying defensively tight. When you think of Crystal Palace, I don't know about you, I love Patrick Vieira, but I still think of Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace, who were quite pragmatic, quite defensive. Um, and I expected this one to be a, a very low scoring fixture, only to be shocked that it was a 3-3. And I think what you're seeing is um, Crystal Palace being a lot more open and expansive in their play under Patrick Vieira, Christian Benteke finding form again, which is something I never thought I'd see. Um, you know, scoring scoring goals. Uh, Burnley have added a little bit more to their game in an attacking sense. I think the signing of Maxwell Corne has been massive in that. Um, I think I heard Adrian Clark say it on the Totally Football show yesterday, and I think he he absolutely nailed it. Maxwell Corne scores goals that Burnley wouldn't ordinarily score, which adds to their locker. You know, we know they're going to get balls into the box. We know Chris Wood and Barnes and Vidra and all those guys are normally in and around that area and making things happen. But Maxwell Corne scores spectacular goals and scores goals that we didn't expect or we don't expect or we haven't become accustomed to seeing from Burnley. And that makes all the difference. I think he's been an incredible signing so far. I was surprised he went there, to be honest. Um, but he has gone there and he's done very, very well. Uh, Newcastle 3, Brentford 3. Already the Eddie Howe effect taking place. 
uh, taking shape because Newcastle were much more uh, entertaining to watch in an attacking sense. They really took the game to Brentford. They scored goals. They created chances. Alan St. Maximan was was fantastic as always. Um, Brentford, we know they can score goals. We know they they can also switch it up, be quite direct, be quite functional. Um, 3-3 draw was probably a fair result in the end. I think Brentford will feel that they probably slightly edged it and deserved to come away with more than a point, but still a good point on the road for Thomas Frank's side. Eddie Howe not at the game, of course, because he is uh, currently isolating, having uh, contracted coronavirus. But you could certainly see that despite him not being physically at St. James's Park, that there was there was some input, there was some influence that whatever's been going on on the training ground is obviously uh, rubbing off on the players. Um, Norwich 2, Southampton 1, another victory for the Canaries. Of course, Daniel Farker picked up his first victory and then ended up getting sacked immediately after. Uh, replaced with uh, sacked Villa boss, Dean Smith. And Dean Smith deserves a bit of praise here because he came in uh, to this job, I think, what, five days after he lost the Villa job. Uh, didn't take any time out, didn't take a break. The opportunity presented itself. He grabbed it and he made some pretty bold decisions with regards to Norwich's team selection. Decisions that maybe you or I would make based on uh, what we've seen from Norwich and what we know of Norwich, you know, uh, Cantwell, uh, Gilmore coming into the side. I would have had both of those in my side, but they weren't in the side prior. And um, interesting that Dean Smith came in and, and made those changes and Norwich City showed some character to come from behind and win this 1-2-1. One, one. It's a second um, it's a second uh Second victory on the spin and then just signs of life still at Carrow Road. Who knows? Uh, moving on, Watford for Manchester United won. Well, we all know the outcome of that. And that was Oli Gunnar Solskjaer uh, being given his marching orders by Manchester United. Watford, brilliant. Um, Claudio Ranieri, I said it to, uh, to Jakey uh, when we did a show uh, over on 90 Min recently. Um, we talked about, you know, how... Uh, you know, Claudio Ranieri is capable of pulling results out of the bag like this. He is capable of of, of making the unthinkable happen. He, he's that good at preparing game plans and preparing, um, you know, ways of trying to stop people nullifying opponents. But not only did they nullify Manchester United, they really took the game to them. And, you know, Josh King, fantastic again. Emmanuel Dennis, who's been an absolute revelation. And Ismail Asar, although he missed from the penalty spot, is, uh, is still a handful. So really a uh, good front three that Watford have there and, and a good core in the middle. Cleverly and Sissoko were pretty good as well. Uh, ben Foster had a good game in goal. So I think, you know, that Watford have enough to survive. And I think with Claudio Ranieri at the helm, mate, they probably will do that now. Uh, moving on to the final game, I want to touch about uh, touch on from Saturday. Uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers won West Ham United nil. And look, Wolves are just not getting enough credit this season. Bruno Large has gone in there and done a wonderful job. You know, people were talking about things getting a bit stale. Um, you know, at Wolverhampton Wanderers with Nuno Espirito Santo, that their football wasn't particularly attractive, that it was boring, that it was dull. In comes Bruno Large. He's made a few additions to the side. Uh, Raul Jimenez is back in the side, which I think is huge. It's made a, a, the world of difference to them having a really strong and capable and, and competent centre-forward. Uh, Juan, who's come in, uh, has been really, really positive. Uh, Trincao's looked good when he's played. Pedence came into the side at the weekend. I think he'd only started once previously, uh, but he came into the team and gave a really, really good account of himself, as he always seems to do. 
Um, but yeah, what I like about Wolves is the style of play. I'm really, really enjoying watching them this season. They they take the game to teams. They're not afraid of anybody. And, and you know, look, West Ham have been flying this season. West Ham have been punching above their weight for a little while now under David Moyes. And it would have been quite easy for Wolves to almost go into their shell a little bit against an opponent that many people felt were the favourites. But Wolves have been have been brilliant, as I keep saying, and I'm a massive fan of Bruno Large and the job he has done there. And uh, hopefully for them, it, it continues because um, really, really good signs. That rounds up Saturday's action. Moving on to Sunday, uh, Manchester City, comfortable winners over Everton. I'll tell you what, Rafa Benitez um, is... Uh, is struggling. You know, you look at that Everton side, I know they've got injuries. I know they're without some players, but they haven't won in their last five in the Premier League. They've lost four of them and drawn just one uh, of those five fixtures. It's uh, already five defeats uh, from the 12, three draws, just the four wins. They've slipped down to 11th place in the division. And I think, you know, Rafa Benitez was, was someone who comes in, obviously, with a good reputation based on what he's done previously. There were question marks about his Liverpool connections. Would that be accepted? Well, it would have been accepted if, indeed, Rafa Benitez was picking up results. But the fact he's not picking up results and the fact his team are performing so poorly means that people are constantly going to look at that, right? They're constantly going to highlight the fact that he is a Liverpool man, uh, that he does have a, a strong connection with Everton's uh, City rivals. and. I'm not sure how much longer Rafa Benitez is going to get away with this. I'm not sure how much longer this is going to last before Everton pull the trigger. They're a very ambitious club. They're looking to build a stadium. They haven't shied away from investing money in recent seasons. Are they going to accept what Rafa Benitez and his side are currently producing? I'm not sure that they will. Um, it's, he's having a difficult time and he, and he needs to turn it around fast. Uh, Manchester City, as, as relentless as always, incredibly uh, good side, really talented group. The pass from João Cancelo was was the highlight for me, even more so than Rodri's absolute thunderbolt of a strike, which ended up in the top corner. Great goal. That was uh, fantastic. But... Um, yeah, uh, that pass from João Cancelo, absolutely sublime. Uh, moving on, the final game of the weekend was Spurs' 2-1 victory over Leeds United. I've made a bit of fun of Spurs over the last couple of days because I thought that the celebrations, considering they'd narrowly beaten a relegation-threatened team with half their players missing at home after a really abysmal first half showing, I thought the celebrations were over the top. Spurs fans tell me they love it. They tell me they love the energy, et cetera, et cetera, that Antonio Conte brings to the table. I said it before and I'll say it again. The hiring of Antonio Conte alone is not enough to elevate Spurs to the level that they need to be at. It It's the first move and the right move to bring in a manager of that calibre. But if Tottenham don't back him up in the transfer market, then it means nothing. And Tottenham have notoriously not backed managers in the transfer market as much as they should in the eyes of their supporters, especially. Uh, Conte, notorious for falling out with, with clubs, for not accepting when he's told by ownership that he can't have what he wants. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this is going to work out. You know, we all knew that the Mourinho thing was going to end in tears. It did. And uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Conte's uh, reign ended in a similar fashion. The only question is, is he good enough? Is the squad good enough for him to achieve something prior to that unravelling? And that's what, what we're going to have to wait and find out. Uh, so those were the results from uh, this weekend of Premier League action and my brief brief, not brief, brief thoughts 
uh, on uh, on some of those fixtures. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit the like button on the video. I've only got 30 likes on the board at the moment. Would love to get that at least up to 50 by the time we, um, we wrap up the show. Um, just a quick reminder of how you can enter our competition. We are giving away not one, but two Arsenal shirts of your choice. Um, the third year anniversary of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast is coming up uh, in January. And to say thank you, I wanted to give away a couple of Arsenal shirts of your choice. Uh, of course, that means you can select from uh, the home one, from the away one, and from the third shirt. Um, we're going to pick a couple of winners. One of our guests is going to pick out a couple of winners at random uh, on the 3rd of December. Uh, so uh, looking forward to doing that. And then I'll get in touch with those who have won so that we can get your size and, and get your choice. And we'll get those sent out to you uh, directly delivered from the club uh, as soon as possible. So uh, to enter the competition, you need to head over to Twitter. Uh, check out our pinned tweet at Chronicles underscore AFC. You need to retweet the tweet. You need to subscribe to this YouTube channel. There's a link there that you can click on that will take you straight there. And you need to, once you've done that, so that's follow us, retweet the tweet and subscribe to the channel. You need to reply done below in the comments. And as I say, we'll be picking out two random winners to be giving away Arsenal shirts to. Uh, please get involved. Spread the word. Let, well, I don't know if you'll want to spread the word because the more people in, the less the chances of you winning. Um, but you you have to retweet it to get into the competition. So, uh, yeah, whether you want to spread the word or not, you bloody have to. If you are a member of the channel and you don't have Twitter, I do realise there are a few of you that don't have Twitter, then please email me at chronicles, uh, chroniclesafc at uh, gmail.com and I will um, enter you into the competition. So it's chroniclesafc at gmail.com. That's the email address. Email me just saying that you'd like to enter the competition and uh, we will... Um, we will, of course, include you as well. I realise not a lot of people, well, I realise a lot of people don't want to be on Twitter as, you know, I know most of us are, but there are people that find it a bit of a pain in the ass. I, I, you know what I could do with deactivating it, but it's so important for my work that I probably can't. Uh, but I, I understand uh, why people are maybe uh, not so keen on spending so much time scrolling through absolute nonsense on a daily basis. So as I say, if you don't have Twitter, email me chroniclesafc at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, we'll um, we'll enter you in the competition. Otherwise, do exactly what it says in the tweet. Get involved, and I'd love uh, to um, uh, to see who uh, who wins. Uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, to sharing with you uh, a couple of uh, a couple of Arsenal shirts right ahead of Christmas. That's going to be that uh, for this edition of the podcast. Make sure you hit the like button on. Um, on YouTube, if you're watching us there, make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you're new, make sure you leave us a review. If you're listening via the audio platforms, I'll be back very, very soon with more content. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.